0: Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our discipleship pastor, Adam Scott. Good morning, good morning. These are the forms that you're gonna pick up at the Welcome Center that tell you everything you need to know about camp. They give you the dates. They give you information about scholarships. There's something that you can hang up on your refrigerator so you will not forget to participate in this incredible experience. Whether you've got a student that would be attending camp, I want you to know some of the best experiences of my life happened at camp. But they didn't just happen at camp when I was a camper. Sometimes they happened when I was a difference maker. At camp as well. So if you're interested in going to camp as a difference maker, making a difference in one of these students' lives, I want you to know all you have to do is think it really, really loudly, and somebody from our Next Gen team is going to pick up on that, and they're going to come find you, and they're going to have a conversation about getting you plugged in. Hey, as you could probably hear, my voice is struggling just a little bit today. Um, I I will tell you that because this is the second service, so I'm not going to hold anything back if I. give it everything i got and i lose my voice completely my wife will celebrate and praise jesus as we leave this place but the real reason i want you to know that is because if i squeak and i'm probably going to squeak i don't want you to laugh And I definitely don't want that on Facebook. So make sure you keep that in this room and respect the sinus infection. (laughs) Today, we're closing out a series where we've been talking about the things that we as a church are for. Now, this entire month, we've talked about the things that we're for because quite honestly, a lot of times, churches are known for what they're against more than what they are for. And we don't think that's right. So we decided we were gonna take a few weeks to just proclaim some of the things that we as a church As a body of believers are for. We already told you that we are for growth. We are for making a difference. We are for life. But today I want to flip this thing around a little bit. And rather than starting off by telling you something that we are for, I want to tell you something that I am against. You see, this, this particular thing is something that I experienced just a couple weeks ago, and I am, I am firmly against this, and I, I can't emphasize that enough. You see, when I experienced this in real time just a couple weeks ago, it, it bothered me. Um, it bothered me that day. It's bothered me every day since then, and so I couldn't let it go. So at the risk of turning this stage into my own personal therapy session, I want to share with you what it is that I experienced that bothered me greatly. See, it happened at Kroger. I had been shopping for a couple things. I came out with my bags in hand, and I noticed there was a woman, there it was, there was a woman who was emptying her grocery cart, her buggy, her shopping cart. She's pulling the bags out of that buggy, and she's putting them in her trunk. And she does that one at a time. She pulls another bag out. She's putting another bag in, and she kept doing this until her buggy uh, was completely empty. And that's when it happened. See, let me tell you what she did. I'll give you a hint, though. She did not return her buggy to one of these. Yeah, she didn't do that. She did not take her buggy back into the store. You want to know what she did with her buggy? She went, and then she got in her car and left. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, I just stood in the parking lot wondering why God allows such evil to exist in this world. And you don't seem to be quite as offended by that as I am, but but it's absolutely changed me. I mean, it's wrecked me. It's made me struggle with, with all of humanity's goodness for the past couple weeks. Listen, if you're not offended by that, it probably means that you're the kind of person who would leave your buggy in the parking lot. And if that's the case, we're going to have a time of prayer and decision and confession at the end of this service, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to get you right with Jesus. Listen, now why am I telling you this? I'm I'm telling you this because I believe that there's some things that adults, people who have any kind of life experience at all, shouldn't have to be taught, right? Right? I mean, there's some things that you should just know. If it was a two-year-old out there, that's understandable that they don't know where the buggy goes. But these conveniently located uh, places are available all throughout the parking lot. As an adult, you should understand that that's what you're supposed to use. And today we're, we're talking about another one of those things, another one of those things that I feel like adults, people with life experience, specifically people who have experience with church, Christianity, God, they ought to just get. I, I mean, this is one of those things that you should just understand by now. You should be embracing it. You should be living it out. Whether it's from your experience at Northridge or maybe your experience with another church, maybe it's your experience with the Bible, maybe your experience in spending time praying back and forth to God, maybe it's your experience with other people, this is something that you've just got to understand. You want to know what it is? It's this We are for our neighbors. We, as a body of believers, We, Christians, we who people who claim to follow the one and only true Savior, Jesus Christ, we are for the people in our community. We are for the people in our world. You see, we love those people, and we want them to experience the abundant life that can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ And and because of that, we understand that eternity is on the line. And so we live our lives in a way that sets out to add value to their lives. We make it our goal, our mission, our priority to be a conduit of God's love. Now listen, maybe you're new to the church. and, And maybe this is new information for you. And so I want to unpack this just a little bit. But we're just going to take a small sample from the Bible. We're going to look at the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. And we're going to flip through and we're going to see whether or not this is something that pops up on a regular basis. Let's start in Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 through 16. It says this, you, meaning the church, meaning the people who follow Jesus, you are the light of the world. What that means is that we're supposed to stand out among everybody else in the world. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to talk different. We're supposed to be unique. Not because we're any better than anybody else, but because we're following something different. We've aligned ourselves with God, with Jesus and his priority for our lives. And as a result, it has altered our behavior completely. It causes us to live our lives in a way that we are looking for good deeds that we can do in the world that's going to make a difference in somebody's life. Listen, what this text right here, what Jesus says here is that we should make such a great effort to do great things in the world that the people we come in contact with look at our deeds and they say, man, I don't know what it is that you got, and they go glorify God because of the way we're living our lives. Listen, here's what's cool. Jesus doesn't just instruct us that we're supposed to live our lives this way. Jesus also gives us a model to follow. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. This is Jesus talking about himself. He says, the son of man, meaning myself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus Christ, the very person who we model our lives after, the person whose example we're following in, he says, my mission in life is to serve other people, is to give to other people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He gave of his life. He, he gave everything he had all the way up to the point of death on cross Jesus gave everything for others. A few chapters later Jesus is talking about this again and he wants to make sure that you and I understand that this isn't just something he's doing but this is something he wants for us to do as well. So he tells a story. And he says this, he says when when I was hungry you fed me. When I was thirsty you gave me something to drink. When when I was a stranger you invited me in. And when the people heard this story, the, the people in the story, they, they, they said, when did we see you in those situations? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you as a stranger? And this is how Jesus responds in Matthew 25, 40. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, what Jesus says here is that it is so incredibly important that we love other people that he says, look, I'm gonna count it as a personal act of love towards me when you demonstrate love towards other people. Listen, Jesus was for others and he wants us to be for others as well. We know that. I mean, it's, it's written in the halls of our lobby for crying out loud. We understand this. The problem is that they don't. The people outside of this church, the people who don't walk into this place, they don't understand that we are for them. You see, many of them have never seen this played out in the the lives of the Christians that they know. Many of them, as a result, are, are confused about who we are and what it is that we are for. And so here's my goal today. My goal is not to convince them that we are for them. Because quite frankly, they're not listening to the words that are coming from this stage anyway. My goal this morning is to motivate you to go out into the world and to proclaim from your stage, that is the place where you live, the place where you work, the place where you play, proclaim from your stage that we are for them and let that experience transform their life. Let it absolutely change their perspective on Jesus and those of us who follow him. It just so happens that James, Jesus' brother, makes it his mission to, to do that same thing, to motivate the church in the same way in the book of James chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can even go to our Northridge Christian Church app and you can open up your Bible right there, but go ahead and open up to James chapter 2. That's where we're going to camp out for just a few minutes this morning. I want to read you the first verse in this passage. It's James chapter 2, verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? See, here's what happens at the very beginning of this passage. James comes out swinging. Right, from the very beginning of his conversation, he, he punches a lot of us in the teeth. Some claim to have faith, he says, but they don't have deeds. They, they have head knowledge about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, but they haven't allowed it to impact their heart, and they certainly haven't allowed it to impact their feet. He says a lot of people, they put their trust and their confidence in Jesus, but there is absolutely no evidence that they've actually done it. He says some sing, but they don't serve. Some learn, but they they don't love. Some attend, but they don't act. And so he rhetorically asked this question. He says, what good is faith like that? Is there any value to faith like that? And the answer is obviously no. Faith without feet, James would argue, is just a feeling. Real faith, real trust, real confidence in Jesus Is going to result in real actions. This is the first point that James makes in this text. Faith is active. Faith is active. Let me clarify what this does and does not mean. Um, He does not mean that salvation comes from our actions. James does not say that we can in any way earn God's love. Listen, that's why Jesus had to come in the first place to make up the ground that we couldn't cover. What James is saying, however, is that our faith in him will produce actions as evidence of our salvation. Our experience with Jesus, with his love, will change us. It will completely change us from the inside out. It's going to change the way we live our lives. It's going to change the way we make decisions. It's going to change the priorities that we have in our life. Martin Luther, the leader of the the Protestant Reformation that led to the existence of churches just like ours, this is how he says it. He says, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. I like that. We are saved by faith alone. It's faith in Jesus that saves us. But if we have faith in Jesus, it's not going to be something that stands on its own. Actions, obedience, life change is going to happen as a result. Listen, we, we understand this if we just dive into the word that James uses to describe faith here. You see, a lot of times in our minds, when we hear the word faith, we, we think of it as nothing more than belief. As a matter of fact, our English translation of the Bible often interprets it as belief, but the Greek word that James and so many others in the Bible uses goes so much deeper than that. You see, the Greek word they use is pistuo, and and what pistuo means is a belief that is so strong that actions based on that trust will follow. Let me explain it to you in this way. I have a stool right here. And as I look at this stool, I can, uh, I can tell that it's a pretty strong, sturdy stool. Um, it's got four legs. It's got some supports. It, it feels like it's, it's pretty strong. And so from right where I'm standing right now, I believe that stool is gonna hold me up. Maybe some of you disagree, okay? I ate a few donuts before I came on. But I believe with my whole heart and stomach that that stool is gonna hold me up. But as long as I stay right here, that's all it is, is belief. That's not faith. What it's going to require for my belief to become faith is for me to come over here and actually sink my weight down into this stool. And as I sink my weight down into the stool, it means that not only do I believe it, but I believe it in such a strong way that I'm willing to risk everything on this stage by sitting on the stool, by sinking my weight into it. Listen, based on that definition... Would you say that you have faith in Jesus? Or would you say that you have a belief in Jesus? I mean, when it comes to your relationship with him, do you intellectually, in your mind, do you know what he did for you? Or do you know it so deep down inside of you that when you look at it, it transforms you, it changes you, and you sink your weight down into it? Now listen, you're not gonna be perfect. That's not what this is is all about, but you will be changed, and you will continue to change as you sink more and more of your weight into him and what he is doing. Here's my challenge at this part of the text. We need to let what we know to be true, let what we believe influence the direction of our life by sinking our weight down into our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not changing to earn anything from God changing because God has so freely loved us. Faith is active. It leads to action. What action has your faith caused you to take this week? And what action will your faith cause you to take today? Let's continue in this story because, because really... We could stop right now and say, what does this have to do with our neighbors in the first place? I mean, the whole point of our conversation is to say that we are living for our neighbors. And so far, we haven't talked about that at all. But James continues the conversation. And as he continues the conversation, he says, it's not good enough for you to understand that actions will result from faith. He says, there are some very specific actions that are gonna happen as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ, and he explains to us what those are. In James chapter two, verse 15 through 19, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Listen, even the belief belief of demons produces an involuntary action. But what James says is that those of us who put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, those of us that sink our weight into a relationship with him, he says there is a very specific and intentional set of actions that will follow. We will automatically, and over time, we will transition our lives to point to Towards the good of others. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it turns our compass towards compassion. When we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, it steers our ship towards servanthood. When we put our hope and trust in Jesus, it alters our position towards people. This is the second point that James makes faith meets needs. Faith meets needs. It recognizes needs in others, and man, it springs into action to make a difference in their life. Now listen, we all understand that the greatest need that people have is a spiritual need. Their greatest need is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ who loves them and died for them. But I love that at this part of our text, James doesn't start with, Go throw Jesus at them. Instead, he says something different. He says, when you begin to love other people, when you begin to transition your life into a life of service for other people, it means that you're gonna get up and you're gonna go make a difference in their practical, physical, everyday needs. Why? Because you can't impact a person's spiritual needs until you first show up in their physical needs. Let me show you what that means. When, uh, when my wife and I were in college, we got married really young, and that means that we had absolutely no money whatsoever, and uh, my wife was working as a waitress at a local restaurant, and some days she'd come home with her $2 an hour, and that was about it, and on those weeks, we didn't eat very well um, because we chose gas in our car instead, but on other weeks, she made good tips, and as a result, you know, we got the real peanut butter to put on our peanut butter and jelly. Our livelihood was very much dependent upon how well she was tipped in a voluntary way in that place. Well, I'll never forget, she waited on one particular couple, and, and she came home, and she said, You won't believe what happened. She said, I I waited on this couple and and, and I served them in every way possible. And and when we got done, I looked in the little uh, folder, whatever it's called, and, and there was no tip. Instead of a tip, they left a Bible tract. You know what a Bible tract is? It tells you about how much Jesus loves you and wants to save you from hell. And she said, I already know this. I needed money, you know, because her physical need was money. Now, now this is why this is so important, because I'm going to give that person the benefit of the doubt. You see, I believe that that person started reading this passage in James, and I think that they understood that faith is active, and so they decided that they were going to focus on the most important need that people have, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so rather than wasting their money on service, they threw a Bible track down so that my wife could experience the love of Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you what would have been a whole lot more effective, though, if they'd continued reading what James is talking about in this passage. And instead of throwing down, trying to meet a spiritual need in a shortcut kind of way, if they said, you know what, I'm going to talk to you and get to know you a little bit, invest in you as a person, I'm going to leave a generous tip. I, I have this strong conviction that Christians ought to be the most generous tippers in the world. A lot of people who work in food service, they hate working Sundays because Christians have a reputation. That's not right, y'all. We need to meet physical needs. We need to say God has blessed us. God has loved us in such a deep way that we're gonna love other people. And one of the ways that we can love other people is we can leave a stinking huge tip when possible. And that way we can say, look, we love you because Jesus loved us. If they had done that, not even a big tip, if they had left a normal tip, if they had not just thrown a Bible track down, if they had invested in a conversation with my wife, they would have found out that she loves Jesus too. And they both would have been encouraged by that conversation. Listen, when you go after the spiritual needs before you address the physical needs, you take a shortcut that most of the time is not going to work. When you meet people's physical needs, that grants access to their heart so that you can make a difference in their life. Teddy Roosevelt understood this and, and he said it this way. He says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's as simple as that. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care about your message. I don't care what it is you want to say to them until they know that you care about them. People don't care about your Jesus until they see your Jesus alive in you. Let me tell you what this looks like practically. You got a single mom in your life that you want to share the love of Jesus with? I and mean, don't preach at her tell her that you're gonna to offer to babysit her kids for free so that she can go out and have an adult conversation with her friends and come back refreshed to do the hard work of being a single mom. See, what this means practically is that you're gonna find that lonely coworker that nobody else wants anything to do with, a person that's a little bit strange and kind of has a reputation for being odd, You're going to say, you know what, I recognize that something's not quite right in your life. And I just, I want to invite you to come watch the game with me so that I can love on you in a real practical way. Help you beat this loneliness in your life. See, practically, this is what it looks like. If you've got a neighbor that's handicapped and you see that they're struggling in in some way, then, then you connect them with our ramp team here at the church. And not only do you make the connection, you show up on Saturday morning with gloves on, ready to serve. Because when you impact their physical problems, you'll have an opportunity to make a bigger impact in their spiritual lives as well. Spiritual impact is not confined to spiritual conversations. Spiritual impact begins when we get serious about addressing physical problems. What needs has God equipped you to meet in somebody's life today? Who around you needs your help? Will you let God's love and your faith lead you to them? Or will you do like he says in the text? Just walk on and say, I hope you're okay. Let's finish this text out. The last few verses of this text are my absolute favorite. See, in the first few verses, the ones that we've already read, James explains what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. But it's in this part of the text that he explains why we get to do it. And this is the best part of the whole thing. This is what it says starting in verse 20. You foolish person. It doesn't start off encouraging, but it gets a whole lot better in just a second. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, that's a key phrase. I want you to remember that. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let me tell you why I love this passage. You see, what James does here is he digs into the Old Testament. And as he digs into the Old Testament, he pulls out examples of people in the Bible that have lived up to everything we've been talking about. They've combined their faith with actions. And as a result, God has credited to them as righteousness. And he starts with Abraham. Abraham's a great place to start. Abraham is, is a spiritual hero. He's a spiritual giant. He was the father of the Jewish people. Here's the problem, though. If James stopped the list with Abraham, or maybe if he continued with other spiritual giants that you find in the Bible, then many of us in this room would say, you know what? I believe that if I am obedient to Christ... I believe that if I have faith and I allow it to transform me from the inside out and I begin to live for other people, I believe that's going to make a difference in somebody's life. But you know what? I don't know that I'm really qualified to do that. It's people like Abraham that God uses to make a difference in somebody's life. See, that's where we would settle with this. We would say, sure, he's going to do it through somebody, but he's probably going to do it through somebody else because I'm not qualified. See, the list goes on. It doesn't stop with Abraham. It continues to Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute who's living in a condemned city. She wasn't like Abraham. She wasn't well-known, well-respected, well-loved. She didn't, she didn't have great status. She wasn't living a respectable life. But the Bible tells us in James in the same way, in the same way, just like he used Abraham, he used Rahab to make a difference in somebody's life. Listen, here's why that's such good news for us today. Whether you're on the Abraham side or on the Rahab side or anywhere in the middle, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Your past doesn't make you unworthy. Your status doesn't define you. Your weakness doesn't hold you back. Nobody is exempt from this and nobody is disqualified. God's plan to use great spiritual giants in the Bible is the same plan he has for you, that you would turn your attention towards other people and as a result, you would make a difference in somebody's life. Listen, do you wanna change the world? Here's the test, okay? Are You ready for it? Do you have faith? Are you confident in who Jesus is and what he did for you? Are you willing to sink your weight into that? Here's the point that James is making. Faith creates opportunity. It levels the playing field. It brings us all into the game. It clears us all to be used by God. Listen, God doesn't have to use a spiritual giant. All he needs from you is unyielding obedience To say, I believe God has something special planned and I want to be a part of what it is he's doing in the world. Listen, I want to close our time together by by looking at a quote from one of the most influential people in the history of our country. It's somebody who understood this principle that we're talking about today in a big way and lived his entire life in a way that we're talking about. He's a a guy that we paused to celebrate earlier this week. It's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this is what he said. Everybody can't be famous, but everyone can be great. Because being great is about service. Being great is about service. Have you noticed that everybody wants to be famous? You know, if you've been around a teenager, you understand this, right? Like we live in a world of viral videos, All it takes is one picture or one video to go viral, and all of a sudden everybody in the world knows your name. My eight year old is just waiting until she's known across the entire world for something that she does, or posts, or looks at, or something. Listen, we've got a lot of people in our world that invest a lot of time, energy, and money into becoming famous. We don't have to be famous, but we can be great. All it takes is turning our attention towards other people, living a life of service, elevating their life as one of the most important priorities in our life and loving them like Jesus did, loving them as if they were Jesus to us and improving the quality of their life. I hope that's your desire, to go out of this place and be great, to look for people whose lives you can make a difference in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that the Bible is full of stories of people that you used to do great things. God, I'm grateful that it's, it's not something that's set aside just for the best of the best, because quite frankly, God, you would never use me if that was the case. I'm grateful that you use weak people, people that have messed up, people that don't have a great status or profile, God, people that are just ordinary, average people that are focused on doing the things that you want us to do. Lord, I pray that you use the people in this church to proclaim to the world around us, God, that we are for them. We're not against them. We don't look down on them. We don't hate them. Or, God, we love them and we wanna introduce them to the most important relationship they're ever going to have. And that's one with Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you give us a pathway to do that. That may just mean loving them in a practical way, but God, I pray that even today, as we leave this place and many go to restaurants, God, I pray that you put people in their path that they can love, whose spiritual life they can impact in some way today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I've proclaimed it from the stage. We're for our neighbors. The only question left is, will you proclaim it from yours? I hope that you will. I hope you'll go out into this world and be motivated with a passionate love to serve other people. Listen, if you've never sunk your weight into your relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never put your hope and trust and faith in him, I wanna challenge you to do that today. We're gonna have some people up here at the front. We would love to talk with you, pray with you, and give you some next steps so that you can begin that process. Either way, we're locking arms together and we're gonna go change this world. Y'all stay and listen.